Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Okay, Brandon is here for, I believe, the eighth Sales Operations Demystified podcast slash webinar episode. Um, Thank you so much for joining. Um, Thanks for having me. Every guest we have has a different has a really diverse kind of entrance into sales operations and stalking you in the in the last week or so, I see we have another kind of interesting approach or route into sales operations, which is going to be super interesting to go into. Um, before we do start chatting with Brandon, a bit of admin. Last week, apologies, we didn't actually have an episode. We had a sales operations manager from a large tech company. We weren't allowed to say the name because... Um, for legal reasons, uh, but we actually got the time zones messed up. He was on the west coast of the US. Uh, we got the time zones messed up, so we couldn't make the time, but he is coming back on on the 16th of May. Um, so yeah, Brandon, super excited to have you on. We'll run for approximately 30 minutes. Uh, we have the standard questions that we'll run through, um, but there's also, I was reading one of your LinkedIn posts today, and so there's, uh, like, there's definitely going to be a wealth of knowledge both for salespeople and sales operations people here, I feel, um, from yeah. what I was reading. Um, but let's kick off, actually, with a little kind of introduction. You have some great companies on your CV, right? You have Qualtrics, you have Amazon, and right now it's Lucidchart, right? Yeah. Um, and your current job title is head of sales operations? Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's technically revenue and account operations. We're mm. still... We've consolidated a lot of the duties between sales and CS, and so, yeah. Um, but yeah, generally, like a bulk of our work is in sales operations, and that's super interesting because a big theme that we've had from previous episodes is actually sales operations is really just part of this larger thing called revenue operations. But I'm sure we will touch on that. So, as I was saying, interesting journey to sales operations. So, can we start with that? How did you kind of get into sales ops? Could you please explain your journey? Yeah, so um, I started as a finance major in, in college, graduated, and uh, it was kind of a means to an end. I've, I've talked about this before, but um, you know, what I'm passionate about is you know, solving problems, you know, looking at operations, how to make them more efficient, and really doing analytics to drive data-driven um, decision-making. Yeah. And finance was a really good means to an end there. And you know, when I went to uh, Concur Technologies, which was now part of the SAP family as well, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, one of the things that I really looked for in that role was one where um, I, I had kind of a seat at the table and could kind of check those boxes, not just I'm sitting in back office kind of being support. And I think that this actually has a lot of kind of application to sales ops. There tends mm-hmm. to be in finance kind of two types of roles. Yeah. Those that are very back office and support and basically the, the person that holds the purse strings and all you do is say, yes, you can use this money and no, you can't. Or the like real more strategic partner type um, role. And so that was one thing I've always looked for in, you know, my roles, especially in, in, in the finance side was doing the due diligence to understand, you know, what type of finance organization is this? And so I concur. And then later at Amazon, you know, that was very much the case. And so that was why I chose those roles. And then when I came, um, so I was, you know, very happy up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and one of my buddies from Amazon actually had moved down to this company called Qualtrics. And at the yeah. time I hadn't really heard of them. And, um, and it was just kind of, Hey, I think you guys are doing really interesting stuff. My wife and I were in town just kind of on a vacation, a holiday and, um, went and visited the office. And as the story goes, found this interesting sales ops world and I really- uh, introduced my future boss, and uh, as they say, the rest is history. So when you uh, say you found it, then you, you went to the office just to look around, and yeah. you got introduced to the sales operations team. Yeah, exactly. Because your uh, friend was in sales operations, or no, he was actually like in partnerships or something like that. Okay. Um, and they had they had an open role for kind of a, a leader in the sales ops team, and, mm. um, and so connected me with the the director over there, the senior director, and we just kind of hit it off and started talking and. The more I learned about sales ops, the more I realized it, it, it really checks all those boxes off for me. Mm-hmm. Of you know, I get to like leverage data to help drive you know uh, decisions. I you know can dive into the operations to help you know companies be more um, impactful or, and efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like the thing I love about and I've really fallen in love uh, with um, in working in sales operations is like the psychological aspect of things. Interesting. Um, yeah. You know, because you, you, many times, you know, you can go run the data and it says do A, B and C and it'll have, you know, such and such outcome. But there is this human element when mm-hmm. you're working with those people, especially when you're working with things like their compensation. Um, and you have to really think how will um, someone react? Because your model that you built is based on, you know, this underlying assumption that they're going to continue to operate in the same way they've been operating. Mm-hmm. But if you change the comp plan, like all bets are off. Yeah. And so you have to really think about how, what will be the psychological impact of those things. And so you, we've seen a number of decisions that um, where we, you know, the data tell us to do one thing. And then we've had to kind of add upon this kind of almost like psychological analysis of mm-hmm. how, how will reps or uh, managers react given, you know, certain changes um, and a lot of times, you know, there's this qualitative um, research mm-hmm. element to it. So that was another thing that helped me really fall in love with kind of the sales operation side. And then I'll just, one last point is, you know, it's just fun to be at front of the house. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like every company I've ever worked at, like when you're on sales, you're, you're, you're really kind of driving the ship, whether mm-hmm. directly or inadvertently. Um, you know, I think about my time at Qualtrics, we had a major impact on the product roadmap mm-hmm. um, because like they want to know product managers, product marketing wants to know what's selling. They want to know, you know, what certain things are being received in the market. Um, and so it, there's just a lot of fun being in the sales org because you have such a important role that impacts literally like every other, every other organization in the company. I think I have two really interesting points there. Um, the first is, and we've had this before, how there's two, like the, the qualitative 
data-driven analysis and that that softer side these are two like yeah. very different skill sets right and yeah. a sales yeah. operation a sales operations resource has to really manage those two even though they're almost completely different things that's super interesting yeah. hopefully we can talk more about that later and second yeah. thing is and this is really good actually the communication link back from sales to product i i think a lot of companies are not good at doing that um and i like here at FDI, i don't think we're, we're the best at doing that either but it is so important because how does the product know what's going to sell if they the product team are not out there every day with customers yeah. getting rejected right, right. so right. they're like they was that's really interesting. Like, is there anything that they, that the product team did to get that data from the sales team, like efficiently? Like, was there a regular meeting or? Yeah. Could you, it was, yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, one of the things we set up at Qualtrics, and um, it it ended up being um, really really helpful, is given that we were a surveying company, we yeah. launched a post win loss analysis to the customer, not the sales rep. Um, because oftentimes you find the sales rep is like, oh, this is why I lost. And then you mm-hmm. actually go look at the feedback from the customer and it's like, you lost because you had no clue why you lost. Um, oh, interesting. So for, for, for the benefit of the, of the audience, um, Coltrix was like a, a survey SaaS platform. Exactly. Right? Yep. So you're saying you would send a survey to the customer or to the salesperson post lost deal. Yeah, I mean, we, we had kind of sampling rules to where we'd send to a certain percentage. We had, you know, if it was like just a little add-on, we wouldn't send surveys. So we had all these rules, but yeah, we'd send a survey. And then we also had um, a process where certain deals that, you know, had key criteria, like they were large deals, um, you know, they were maybe a new product or something. We'd set up rules. It'd go into a queue that me and my team would review. Mm-hmm. And um, we basically say yes or no. And if it's no, it'd go through that kind of mm-hmm. normal sales survey process if yes what we do is we actually contracted with a third-party entity that would go and do in-depth um interviews with these people oh, nice. uh, and yeah and it was like our first vendor was really good um but then we we switched vendors to actually you know a local company a, mm-hmm. a, a group called closed cl clozd and these guys were just super super sharp and we the content that they were giving us was giving us a ton of insight into our sales process like what are we coming out on our pricing way too heavy mm-hmm. were you know, so a lot of really good sales training material, but then also a ton of really robust product capabilities that just wasn't there. That was really critical to them um, because that's the other thing too, is there's always this interesting, I would say battle between mm-hmm. sales and product yeah. to where you know product often views sales as just a bunch of whiners. It's like, Hey, just go <laughs> sell the product. Yeah. And there's this, kind of, and I think it's, it, it's quite healthy. This uh, a little bit, um, friction per se but when it's coming directly from the mouth of the customer it's yeah. like product marketing's like this is amazing this is exactly what we need and same with their product team mm-hmm. so that was one avenue that's been super helpful um and then the other thing too is um i'd say like and this is something we're implementing here at lucid because we're still a little bit more into our in our infancy there but yeah. just collecting feedback on like what were key features that impacted this deal and so you know there is the bias of the rep but i think genuinely like as long as we explain why we're collecting this data and that it's going to have major impacts on the product roadmap, hmm. then um, then they'll they'll be apt to try and be as honest and open as possible about, hey, this feature set wasn't there and this is why we lost the deal or this was and why we won the deal. Yeah. So egos and things like that. that so. That's super important, right? Because you have the, the, the egos of both teams, the product team's ego saying that my product's amazing. Sales team's ego says, I'm, I'm really good at selling. And so these are all methods of conflict, right? But if you have the customer saying, actually, 
your product's not so amazing here or you don't have this feature, then the product team can like stomach that like much more effectively. Yeah. And I think this is another area where sales ops can add a ton of value is just acting as kind of this intermediary because you think of the background and the profiles, you have sales reps, we all know kind of their backgrounds. Um, and then you have like product, which will be, you know, very analytical. Um, oftentimes, especially in a tech company, they're like ex-engineers or they have a computer science degree. And so a lot of times the friction is driven by just, they communicate very differently and we can act almost as translators of saying, look, yeah. Here's a bunch of sales reps are saying this and they think it's like this huge fire, but let me actually translate it into kind of layman's terms. And um, maybe it's a translation. Maybe it's like helping them kind of see through the the way the sales reps are, are communicating. And so um, that's, I think one critical um, skill set a sales rep can do is making sure you have a strong relationship with your product, a product marketing mm-hmm. team, because, you know, we, we both rely, like sales relies upon, you know, the product that they're building and product relies upon sales to get good information on what to build. And, you know, we can often act as that intermediary to ensure that it's like more of a virtuous cycle as opposed mm. to you know, the opposite. Yeah, I, I actually don't think we've spoken to anyone about that role, uh, as the role of sales operations linking products and sales. Uh, so that's yeah. super interesting. We we pull out a couple of quotes from each interview and put them on social media and design them really nicely. So I think we'll probably do one to do with that, nice. with products and sales. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so moving on, and we may have touched on this already. What do you think it, like makes an awesome sales operations person? That's a great question. Um, and this was probably one that I'm probably most excited to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, you know, maybe I have a unique take on it, but let me give you a couple stories to, uh, from my Amazon days that kind of as context for my answer. Great. So when one of the things that was really ingrained in the Amazon culture was very rotational to where you, I remember when I hit my two year mark, mm-hmm. like my inbox just started getting flooded with directors saying, Hey, I want to talk to you about a role on my team. And I oh, want to really? talk to you about a role. On my team. And then, and then, like, I talked to my director because I was like, hey, FYI, I'm talking to these teams. Um, and he's like, oh, no, I totally know. And, you know, this is the way it's going to be very painful if we lose you. But I, I get it. And we want to do what's best for you. And ultimately, kind of what's best for Amazon, because, mm. you know, there's benefit in this kind of rotational, getting fresh set of eyes on things. Um, and so then it was interesting because then when I, you know, I was really heavily involved in our MBA interviewing because mm-hmm. um, we had a pretty robust MBA program, post MBA program. Yeah. And. I remember sitting in, so at this point I was in finance and sitting in these interview committees. So we'd interview a bunch of people and then we'd sit and debrief about them. And I remember meeting a one candidate and I'm like, this guy would be incredible on my team. Like he, he literally checks all the boxes. We'll just nail it out of the park. And then the guy next to me says, Oh, he would be terrible on my team. Granted still in finance, but the roles were very, very different. And I said, okay, yeah, let me explain, understand your role. And I said, yeah, he actually would be not very good in this situation. And we ultimately declined on this individual because we're looking for someone that really can do it all mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe isn't like so pigeonholed that they're going to be the specialist in this one area, but they, you know, we can hire smart people that can rotate throughout the company. So that culture was really heavily ingrained upon me and something that I was a big proponent of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second piece, uh, a story from there, I remember we had a candidate that we were interviewing for a specific position, not kind of anything rotational at that point. And um, I was like, look, this kid's really smart, super sharp, but, and it wasn't just me. It was pretty much everyone on the interviewing committee was like super sharp. We really like him, but we don't think this role is quite right for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the right experience. Um, and I think the ramp will just be, you know, maybe too long than we need. And my man, my director said, you know, totally agree, um, with everyone's assessment, but step back and think six months, 12 months from now, once this person's ramped, like 
how will they compare? And we all immediately had this kind of aha moment mm-hmm. that's like, this kid will be a rock star. And yeah, and so then w- once we had that kind of longer term potential view, we then stepped back and said, look, we can deal with a little bit, the pain of a little bit longer ramp and, you know, getting up to speed time in favor of, you know, having someone that's going to really be that long-term all-star. And so we hired him and totally was, he was, mm-hmm. he was incredible. So I say that in that, I think sometimes we make the mistake of overemphasizing prior experience, especially in sales ops. Like, Hey, I have to have someone that's been selling or someone that mm-hmm. has been in sales ops before. Um, I mean, I look at my team and folks that I've hired into here in Qualtrics and very, very few have ever done sales ops before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that that's a bias against sales ops people. It's that I'm really like sales ops is kind of like the icing on the cake, that experience. And it's more, I'm looking for those course of skill sets, which are- to me, the, the course skill sets are like ability to deal with ambiguity, ability to just really execute. Um, I mean, sales is a unique animal in that like when you're in accounting, it's very simple. You have very clear deadlines. Mm-hmm. I have to file my financials with, you know, our regulating body, I have taxes, I have to file or I pay a huge fine, etc. Whereas sales is sometimes it's much more opportunity cost based to where, okay, I want to redo this comp plan, or I want to do this analysis to, you know, really refine our target market. If I don't do it today, like, it's not going to have a dramatic impact, not everything's going to fall apart tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but there is an opportunity cost in that, like, hey, we want to get moving on this now. And so it's really critical to have someone that can just execute and be able to go deliver results and drive towards um, and drive a project forward. So that's kind of second. Third, I would say, you know, just generally a smart person because a lot of, um, you know, creativity and smarts, I think, because a lot of the problems we solve, yeah, there's like, you know, maybe other Salesforce, LinkedIn, some of these other great sales shops have figured it out, but like, you've still got to like figure out the lucid way or the Qualtrics way. Um, and so having someone that's really smart and kind of knows how to dive in, look at either a process, look at a problem and solve is, is critical. Mm-hmm. And so those types of things I think are really good. Um, one of the ways we actually look for this, we've built a, a case, one of um, uh, our one of our members of our team spent a ton of time, built this awesome like sales ops case that, you know, we have them look at some numbers, ask them some questions, have them think through strategy. And it's really funny because a lot of the sales ops people or people with sales ops experience, you can almost just see their like brain shut off and they'll just start regurgitating like what they've done in past jobs, which, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's the right answer, but that's not how I want someone to approach a problem. I want them constantly to be engaging and thinking about like, okay, we did this at my prior job, but is that the right way to do it? Does that actually fit the lucid or, you know, whatever your company insert company name here model. Um, So I would say those, those things are really what I'm looking for is, and then, you know, sales ops experience is is just a bonus. Um, And and the thing, the, the thing I will say is, that experience is actually not that hard to, to go create and replicate. Um, you know, I, I could go hire someone tomorrow, give them like 30 days and say, go spend the next 30 days just interviewing every local sales company, understand how they think about this comp element, this thing, and this thing, and this thing. And they're going to get actually a much better understanding than someone that maybe even spent like 10 years at Salesforce. Yeah. Because they just have one point of view. And so that's, I, I guess, the one recommendation for folks out there in sales ops right now is, make sure that you're getting a really diverse um, exposure to different ways of doing things. That's when you can turn kind of your sales ops experience into a major, major asset, because not only do you have, you know, a really good understanding of what the market's doing, but also, Hey, 
this is, I've seen these in practice as well. And that's when it kind of flips from a nice tab to like actually really essential. Yeah. And so then the next question is, do you think that sales experience is necessary for this role? Yeah, um, I think, you know, it doesn't hurt. It's kind of one of those things. I think it, 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 it's the same same answer I give with kind of sales ops experience. It, it just depends. You know, if that's what you're going off and like it's a secondary consideration in my mind. That said, I will say the one role where I think it's pretty critical mm-hmm. is enablement. Okay. So enablement right now is kind of in our org. Yeah. And I think there is some additional credibility when you sold before. So we, we hired um, our head of enablement mm-hmm. and I actually brought her in. Um, um, I, she's, she's a, I was a close friend and she, uh, had literally, I remember sitting her up in front of all of our sales reps and basically said, look, this, she carried a million dollar quota, led a team and, and you could just immediately see mm. instant respect. And, and listen, I've seen a lot of enablement functions fall flat because you have someone sitting up there actually telling the right stuff mm. and doing it very brilliantly, but because they just don't have that credibility like sales reps just kind of turn yeah. off. And so I think that's one area where I think not everyone to be successful in enablement needs that, but I think your kind of core team needs to have some experience in sales um, to really be successful and kind of garner the credibility of the, the organization. So that's the only exception I'd say where, where, where it's helpful. Sure. Just for context for the listeners, just as well, for context for the listeners. What, um, what um, size of sales organization and then size of sales operations organization are we working with? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, our, uh, let's see, our sales organization is like probably a hundred, we're probably looking, I, yeah, probably like the 120, 100, 130 range right now, yeah. um, but we're growing pretty exponentially. Like we'll probably double that in the next 12 to 18 months. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And so our, our ops team is also un- unique in that we we have a lot housed within ops. Mm-hmm. So like one example is all of our comp plan creation and administration yeah. is done internally within our team, yeah. which oftentimes sometimes sits in finance. Um, and so, and, and then a lot like our deal desk function as well sits in the team yeah. and some of those types of things. So with that context, our, our team's probably, I mean, we've got some summer interns starting, but we're, I think we're like, uh, and we have people starting like four people starting the next like two weeks, but we're probably about 12. Mm-hmm. 12 to 14 or something like that. Do you think that's about like the sweet spot for the ratio between operations and actual reps is around 10%? Yeah. I mean, the thing that's always tough, it, it it's always apples and oranges. I remember, you know, when we had someone at Qualtrics come in, our, our COO at the time was from Microsoft and he just was like, your sales ops team is massive. Um, it's way bigger. But then when we actually started sitting down and saying, let's talk about what is included in the sales ops team, we had our whole Salesforce development team um, and all these different things. Then it, then you actually, when you talk about core, core sales ops, it gets to a much better and much more um, typical uh, ratio to what you're used to. Sure. So, um, so that's kind of the thing that that's a little tough to, to say, here's the right ratio, because it really depends on... Um, on two things. One, like what's included in sales ops. Yeah. And second, like what's included in your sales block process. For example, um, we, we are investing heavily in a lot of our billing and um, kind of license allocation provisioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now it's a pretty manual process. And so for the time being that our deal desk, our order processing team is bigger than it should be. 
um, until we get to a much more automated world. And so we, we've kind of solved that in the short term with headcount. Yeah. And then as we start to build in more and more automation, then we, we essentially don't grow that team. Hopefully that team stays flat for the next five years. Yeah. And so that um, leads yeah. very nicely on to the next question is, what is the current tech stack you're using to manage uh, this 120-person sales team? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I try to stay as lean as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing's worse than like tech stack bloat. Um, and so we have obviously Salesforce. We're a Salesforce shop. Um, Outreach.io is kind of our automation and cadence management tool. Um, we do insidesales.com, but that's predominantly just for our SDRs or inbound, yeah. um, kind of routing type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, uh, let me think, let me get all, all our tools here uh, from a tech stack. Uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Um, I don't know if it's kind of, it is technically a technology, so I'll throw that in there. And then we have Discover Org for a lot of our um, like contact and prospecting um, data, uh, lead data and stuff, data enrichment in that on the contact side. And then for account data, we actually just purchased DataFox um, to help enrich a lot of our firmographic data in Salesforce. Um, and then let's see. Uh, another big tool that we use, um, we're big proponents of our own tool is Lucidchart. Yeah. Um, I think it's actually really, really essential for anyone in operations, mm-hmm. um, just really mapping out processes. Yeah, I um, I, I'm a big visual person. So, um, it, it's been a tool that is literally went from, Hey, this is interesting to it's like essential. And I use it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think a funny story is we, uh, had a company meeting I don't know, last quarter and, they did an analysis internally of their largest Lucidchart users yeah. internally. And the number one was like a support rep. Mm-hmm. So obviously they're answering support calls. So they live in the product every day. The second highest user of Lucidchart was our SVP of sales. Nice. Um, and so just because it's one of those tools where you can map out processes, I, you know, I build my org out in it and kind of planning a lot of our, all of our planning is done in that. And cause it's just so impactful to be visual. So that's, probably those tech stacks. And then, um, you know, there's some other ones we're evaluating, but those are kind of the big, the big technologies we're using. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I guess, you know, there is the question on what platform we use for online onboarding. Uh, the answer to that is we don't have a specific onboarding tool. Uh, we run that pretty much in-house, but we do use, um, it's, it's, it's a it's bridge. It's like an LMS type thing yeah. um, that we do for a lot of our kind of certification and those types of projects. Cool. So it supplements our onboarding process as well. Thank you for that question, James. Um, yeah, a shout out for Luffy Chart for myself, actually. Our sales manager was telling me this afternoon that he uh, was using it to map out a process. And I massively think that if you want something to be reproduced over and over again, so if you're in operations uh, and you want some other people to keep doing this thing, um, it has to be documented. And whether you do that in a... Like we actually do all of our process documents in Google Docs, but then yep. embedded into that, we we also need diagrams, and we we're either using like Google Slides, but uh, Luthichart is significantly more powerful than that tool. Um, yeah, and it, and it embeds really well into all that stuff, um, which is super helpful. The other thing too that we recently rolled out, which is I guess I probably should include in our tech stack, is we have a Luthichart sales solution that has a bidirectional sync with Salesforce. Nice. So. What's really been interesting and it's been super helpful, especially on much of our strategic accounts, is you can go in and instead of going to an account page and seeing just the static list of contacts, mm-hmm. you can 
you know, basically bring it into your lucid chart and you now have these contacts on a page, you drag it in and you can create whether it's an org, you know, just a simple org chart or, you know, we have, we've got these templates that you follow to where you can essentially take any contact, put them, you know, Hey, this person's a detractor. These are people that I just found, but I need to categorize where they fit into the buying process Mm -hmm. and things like that. And it's been super beneficial. Our reps love working out of it. Um, and you know, their managers will come in and do like a pipeline review and immediately go to that. You can quickly see this, this deal's not going to close. <laughs> you, you have three people on your chart, you know, this is a massive company. And if you are talking to three people, you've got no okay, chance right. of closing. Yeah. So, and it, and it really drives enablement and, and, uh, and whatnot. So that's probably the other piece I'd add to our tech stack. As Shout well. out to Lucid chart. Okay. So next question, and this might be a loaded one, your favorite tech tool. Hmm. I, this is going to maybe, this is probably a nod of the hat back to my old finance days is I just live and breathe in Excel. Um, and mm. it's just such an incredible platform. Back and, to basics. Um, yeah. So it's just great for like most of the ad hoc analysis I'm doing. Mm. Um, that said, like for kind of sustainable, repeatable dashboarding, like it's not a great tool for that. Yeah. So I understand that, but just for me personally, that's one that that I spend a lot of time in of just doing ad hoc, like, Hey, you know, how is this, how is this looking and, and things like that. So, you know, I got to say Excel and then there's a whole bunch of other tools. Like I love Tableau or Tableau shop as well for, you know, a lot of the big one tool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree with the, um, Excel thing, super easy, like and quick. But I always have the challenge of wanting to sync Excel with other applications. And I, I don't think I've ever found yeah. like a solution that does that reliably or that's yeah. cheap enough. Um, no, no, we do use Sheets, which I kind of say Sheets and Excel interchangeably okay, yeah. because Sheets, we have some stuff that allows you to do kind of some automated data mm-hmm. stuff. Um, awesome. Okay, moving on. How do you, as a sales operations team, deal with data quality in Salesforce? And how does that, who's responsible for that in Luther Chai? Is that why? Well, I know you have a big sales ops team, but is it also like the, you said the Salesforce dev team, like who deals with that and how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's really a team effort, uh, here. And I think that's, I mean, in my experience, it's kind of the best way to go. Um, first and foremost, like our responsibilities, we're looking for, um, software or databases that can help. So as I mentioned, we just purchased DataFox. Yeah. that we're already seeing some great uplifts and kind of our data quality there around, you know, firmographic data industry, um, it's employee counts, things like that. Um, it's same with discover work. So making sure you have a good like technology provider mm-hmm. to kind of be the, the underpinning and the, the, the foundation and then having a robust process, um, to kind of almost like crowdsource data, um, the, the data clean, clean, cleansing, mm-hmm. I would say. So right now our reps, if they, um, you know, in their conversations with, uh, whether it's SDRs to the closers, if they're in a conversation with one of their accounts and find out, hey, you know what, this per- this account actually purchased this account, they have a process, they can submit a case, we review it, and then make the adjustments mm-hmm. there. Um, so so I think that that's really the only way to do it. I'm sure there's, it, it also depends on our, your market. If you're purely focused in like the, you know, the global 2000, you can go buy software and pretty much yeah. be good. Problem, we, we work in that all the way down to like the smallest of small SMB clients. And so when you start getting into mid-market SMB, there's just not a solution that's really great. Unless you're in a really niche market, but we're really in everything. And so the best way to do that is to crowdsource. Um, One of the other ways, one of the other issues that we're running into is we recently expanded to Europe and opened an Amsterdam office. Um, 
and and like our European data set is like needs to work. And so that's and we only have a few feet on the ground. And so it's been a bit of a struggle because we want to create all these patches and territories um, for the reps and we have less than ideal mm-hmm. data. And so that's kind of a, a struggle that we're, we're currently working through and trying to figure out. No, do we need to look at a separate data provider in, in some of the European markets, especially as we think about Australia and, and New Zealand as as well and the rest of the APAC region? Yeah. Uh, what, do, what do we do there? And how do we, because we really can't crowdsource at that point because we at, when we started, we didn't have any boots on the ground. We mm-hmm. now do. And so it's quickly getting better, but um, that that's generally how we've approached it. Yeah. Um, didn't decide to come to London. Uh, we actually came to London. Okay. Uh, we we loved London. It just didn't, uh, from a cost perspective, didn't make sense for us. Um, Agreed. You know, our 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 sale is very it is very. Um, we have a very inside sales motion, and so we don't have as much of a need to like be at the beck and call of our mm-hmm. customers and just be on site in a minute. Um, if you're a, you know highly sophisticated, you do like six month implementations. Totally makes sense to be in London because there there's a major install base there. But that's why we chose Amsterdam. Um, biggest challenge with the role and how you overcome it? Yeah, and and I don't know. Maybe this is unique. I've I, as I we kind of talked about my career has been in high growth mm. tech, and so I, this may not apply to to other industries. But uh, it's really waiting prioritization. I would say. You know, I mean, I have at any given time myself and my team included. There's a hundred great projects, good projects we could be doing. How do we? find the great projects, the areas that we're going to move the needle mm-hmm. the most. And so that's probably the most difficult and the most exciting thing I think about being, um, you know, in, on, on the team here and being kind of in the industry is there's never a lack of, it's not, you're never deciding, Hey, this is not very value add. And this is very value add. It's like, this is very value add. This is very value add. Which one? Mm-hmm. Do you so do you have a framework for this prioritization or a process that you go through in order to make sure you're working on the right stuff? Yeah, 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 for sure. So one of the things we've set up here on our team is like really looking at four, well, two of them are more quantitative, so metrics, and then two kind of just general mm-hmm. goals um, of focusing on. And as we, we do um, quarterly, we call it OKRs. Um, there's a bunch of research. It's, I think, generated originally a Google practice, um, the OKRs. But when we set our goals on a quarterly basis, we, we kind of look at these kind of four levers that we want to be influencing. One is you know, our top line sales number, um, ensuring that we have, we're doing a project that will help build the, and increase our top line mm-hmm. sales. Uh, we have aggressive growth targets and we need to make sure we're helping hit that. Second is average bookings mm-hmm. per rep and looking at that and making sure we're not just hitting our, you know, that metric number one by throwing a bunch of bodies mm-hmm. at it, but instead we're actually improving efficiency, making sure our reps are being more and more productive and we're getting more ROI yeah. for each rep. And then inherent in that is like, this kind of in parentheses holistically doing that because I've seen issues where, yeah, the average is going up, but it's really like the richer getting richer and the poor getting yeah. poorer. Like that's not best in my mind, but that everyone, you know, the, the rising tide, you know, raises mm-hmm. all the ships or whatever, however the saying goes. And then the third and fourth, the qualitative ones are, you know, providing better visibility and transparency, um, both upward and downward. Mm-hmm. If just making sure our, our executive leadership team knows what we're doing and how we're being successful. Um, and kind of what our strategy is going forward. And then the fourth is, you know, just really creating a robust and vibrant culture on the sales floor. Nice. Um, and, and I think that, you know, sometimes it sounds kind of weird that sales ops has that as a, as a goal, but I think, you know, with enablement, with compensation, like those are two massive levers you can pull to really drive the culture. And then 
we work really, really closely with all our sales leaders. And so we, we partner with them on a, on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And, and so I think that we have a major, major ability to impact the, mm-hmm. the kind of culture on the sales. Floor. I'm not sure that's been mentioned before, but I think that's super important having the, the group of people you're working with every day, especially sales team, really engaged with what they're doing. And I, I don't think we've had that before as a, a sales operation being responsible for that. So I think that's super interesting. Um, we have one yeah. question here. I think this has already been answered. A recommended sales engagement platform. You mentioned you're using Outreach, right? Yeah, yeah, we use Outreach. I mean, we've we've looked at Outreach, Sales Loft, um, Inside Sales has kind of their they're building some stuff out, and right now, um, you know, we're really we're really happy with Outreach. Um, and we've the, the the issue that you run into with a lot of these is we've built so much in and around yeah. Outreach that. You know, for us to, I mean, that was kind of, I don't even know, I wasn't here when the original purchase mm-hmm. was made. Um, so, you know, if someone really wants to get me to switch, they've got to really convince me that it, it's their platform is, you know, heads and shoulders above yeah. outreach um, because the switching costs are going to be really I mean, high. that's the best thing for like SaaS, for SaaS stickiness, right? It's the customization of the tool, increasing that barrier to leave. Um, the same with Salesforce, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, Yep. interesting okay cool uh do you have one uh, we just spoke about four metrics that you kind of look at right but is there one that you could that if you had to use one metric to judge the sales team which one would that be um uh, for me it'd be you know average bookings per rep i think that's if you wanted to judge the health of a of a of a sales mm-hmm. org because you might be hitting your numbers i've seen sales orgs where yeah you're hitting your numbers but you have one or two people that are hitting really, really big deals while the really the core is struggling. Like that's just delaying the disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an underlying problem that's going to come out at mm-hmm. some point. And so looking at, you know, making sure how, you know, what are the percentage of reps that are hitting quota and, you know, average bookings per rep or like they kind of go hand yeah. in hand or, or two metrics, one to two metrics that I'd But then at. you did, you, you did say there's also the other dimension of that you, you need to look at, which is all, almost, what's the term, the range of, between yeah. because as you said there could be two players killing it and then the rest not yep. so yeah awesome um okay so we come to the end the final question is about somebody that you know or that you worked with that's kind of inspired you or taught you a lot about sales operations who are who are they how do they do that and where do they work yeah so there's i would say two people um, i know i'm supposed Two's to do one fine. but i'm gonna break the give you two um, the first one was uh, a guy named Austin mm-hmm. Bankhead. I can't remember the name of the company he's at now, but he was the director, senior director that hired me yeah. at Qualtrics. Uh, guy's super sharp, same, kind of the same background. Like he had a background in marketing and uh, management mm-hmm. consulting. Uh, I just had that ability and was really sharp and just taught me a lot about um, generally, you know, what we should be looking at and how to look at a process and analyze it. And then the second individual, I would say, his name is Spencer Dent. He's actually one of the founders of that closed company yeah. I talked about. Um, he, uh, he, I essentially was his backfill at Qualtrics. He moved in to kind of set up a demand gen mm-hmm. function there. Uh, and so he was great because, you know, he had, he had been doing my role when I, when I moved over there and, you know, he stayed in the sales industry and just super sharp has just really, really good um, kind of just he's yeah. smart. I mean, that's really what it comes down to Going back to the original conversation. Like he's a, he's a guy that you can, throw a problem at and whether he has context or not, or, you know, even experience, like he can think through the problem and give you a good recommendation. Fantastic. Okay. That was like a, that was a pretty fast journey, wasn't it? That, 
There's a lot. I think that was probably the most words spoken in in one of our podcasts. Um, but super, super interesting. Like, I, I really like that you had a background in finance. So you're clearly very like operational and like super smart. And I think there was a lot of value added to the audience there. Um, we're going to drag out two quotes and we'll be posting them. Um, I again, I, I really like the part about how sales operations has like the soft side, but also the super analytical side. I think that's super awesome. Um, if anybody has any questions, they have to be fast on the chat. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, feel free to, I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect, yeah. uh, you know, shoot me a message. I love um, learning more about other people's problems mm. and um, happy to share anything we've learned and would love to learn yeah. from others as well. So Brandon Buffy on LinkedIn and also a massive shout out to Luther Char. Like I, to- I totally, I didn't actually connect the application of the product with the kind of sales mapping that you discussed. So I think that's super awesome. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.